Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together we are the Minimalists. Ryan, have you noticed a lot of empty shelves at stores recently? Mm, Yeah, the first snowflake hits the ground. (laughs) Well, not here in L.A., but other places. I saw a meme about it. Like, uh, yeah, the first snowflake hits the ground and all of a sudden there's no bread and milk (laughs) (laughs) or eggs. (laughs) Yeah, I think if a snowflake hit the ground in Los Angeles, it'd be pure panic, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, not only are there supply chain issues, but there seems to be a whole lot of panic buying going on. Today on the public podcast, Ryan and I are talking about the psychology behind all this panic buying. Then this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, we're going to discuss how minimalists can prepare for emergencies, for pandemics, for supply chain shortages, and for financial shock events without Hoarding. Mm. I think that's the key. You can check that out at patreon.com slash the minimalists. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. All right. Our first question today is from Mira on Facebook. What causes panic buying in the first place? I think we have to talk about what panic buying is. So I think quite often right now, especially in times like this, we see a bunch of empty shelves or when COVID first started. Oh my goodness. Remember you and I did this episode with TK Coleman and we got really frustrated. There was a guy who was like stealing or not stealing, but like buying up all the hand sanitizer, paper towels, like reselling them at, I don't know, 1800% markup or something absurd like that. I'm making up the number, but yeah, I think Amazon got sued over it actually for letting people do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that's one type of panic buying. Mm -hmm. But I would like to extend panic buying. Hmm. I think people panic buy whenever there is a sort of perceived loss. Yeah. Whenever they feel as though they might be missing out. Mm. So it's FOMO, the fear of missing out. And what do we do? So anytime someone creates a false shortage of something or a real shortage creates a faux urgency. Mm. We see this. You and I used to be in the sales world and quite often by our bosses and by the corporation itself, we were encouraged to create a false sense of urgency to get someone to act now, to buy now. And that's a sort of low-grade panic buy. I tell you what, if you go ahead and buy this today, I'll waive your activation fee. Yeah. If you go ahead and buy this today, I will waive the points on the loan or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. It'll cost you $500 less if I can get you in this car right now. And it creates that sense of scarcity that, oh no, I'm going to lose something if I don't act now. And so what does that do? Panicking is never rational. Right. No one panics rationally, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, you can't panic rationally. Panic is always an irrational response to some sort of stimuli. Mm. In this case, it's a shortage or a perceived shortage. Yeah. So we feel as though, oh no, if I don't buy this now, then I may never have access to it when I need it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting, man. I remember... 
uh, the Trader Joe's near our place uh, when the pandemic happened. Yeah, like the shelves, just like probably all the grocery stores across the country were empty. Yes. In fact, I remember a week later, everything came back in, shelves were stocked. Trader Joe's had to put a only two items, uh, only two of the same item kind of restriction in to keep the shelves from going bare again, mm-hmm. which I don't understand like why all stores just don't do that. Because if you limit someone like, hey, we know you want to buy everything, mm-hmm. but you're going to be okay with just getting two of this. Right. And we'll have back in stock next week. Right. But if we panic, like that's when it starts to break down. But anyway, um, I was talking to one of the cashiers and they were saying that they had um, like the the best week they've ever had by like 10. Like it was 10x whatever they, yeah, whatever a normal week was. Oh, because people were panicking. Yes. And that's my point is corporations often try to induce a low-grade panic. Now, mm-hmm. they don't want to go over the top. They don't want you to truly panic. And and then you know, you see the like the doorbuster sales in our first film, Minimalism. Yeah. That is a type of of high grade panic of mm-hmm. of people actually trampling other human beings literally the day after being thankful for everything they have <laughs> and now yeah. it's the next day and now we're going to trample other people because we I think we we just forgot about being thankful now let's talk about the essence of this where does it come from mm. It's about the fear of missing out. Well, oh, yeah. there's only one way to combat the fear of missing out, mm-hmm. and that is to understand what enough truly is. Yeah. Now, you and I, Ryan, we have this, uh, we call it the no junk rule, and it's in our minimalist rule book, 16 rules for living with less. You can download it for free on our website. It's theminimalists.com slash rule book. Yeah. It's also in our book. Yeah. All those rules. Yeah, we put all, all 16 of them in Love People Use Things. And so, but you can download those for free. And one of those rules is the no junk rule. And basically, everything you own can fit in one of three piles. It's either essential, it's non-essential, or it's junk. Now, when you see those Black Friday sales, quite often we're trampling each other for junk. Yeah. yeah. At best, we're trampling other people for non-essentials, things mm. that might add value to our lives, but they aren't tr- truly essential and we can get by without them, right? Yeah. Now, we panic quite often because of what? We think that we don't have enough of the essentials, but that's because quite often we're treating these non-essentials or even these junk items mm-hmm. as though they are essential. Mm. And so we never stop to ask that question. What is enough? How much is enough food? What's going to happen if I run out of paper towels? What's going to happen if I run out of pasta? What's going to happen if I run out of rice or I run out of meat or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. What is going to happen in these scenarios? Am I going to starve to death? Mm. If the answer to that is yes, then it's probably an essential for you, right? Mm -hmm. But if you run out of detergent one week, you're still going to be fine. Yeah. And, and recognizing that you're going to be fine is the way to deal with that fear, that anxiety, that fear of missing out. Because realizing like, A, I'm probably not missing out at all. Right. But B, even if I am missing out, I'm missing out on non-essentials. Or mm. maybe I'm missing out on junk that yeah. I don't need in the first place. Yeah. The, the, the uh, toilet paper shortage, that... That really cracked me out, man, because <laughs> you literally have a bath in the room yes. <laughs> where your toilet is like toilet paper. Don't get me wrong. Like I still view it as an essential, but 
there are very, very easy substitutes for that. Yes. And the fact that people were panic buying, it just kind of, I don't know, just kind of blew my mind, man. And so I think panic buying is one instance of why some of these supply chain shortages are there. There are several other reasons right now that we see these empty shelves. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk more about that on the Maximal episode this week. But I think part of it has to do with also, the the people who work at a lot of these stores, if a bunch of people get sick at once, mm. the coffee shop across the street, I was just talking to them about this. There's a, a blue bottle coffee across the street. Mm-hmm. And I was there yesterday and I was just like, hey, thank you guys for being here. You know, happy new year, et cetera, et cetera. And just grateful that, that you're here. And, and they, they said that they had to close 11 of their stores mm. because of illness outbreaks, whether it was COVID or something else. So enough people were sick they just could not staff the stores mm. well if you have the people who stock the shelves or anywhere else in the supply chain yeah the the truck drivers the delivery people if it breaks down anywhere in that sequence mm. all the way to the cashier or the person who's bagging your groceries mm-hmm. if one or two of those links is missing all of a sudden the whole supply chain is interrupted yeah that's something i really uh noticed during this pandemic is how easy easily the supply chain breaks down Mm -hmm. and we take a lot of things for granted even truck drivers like you know i i think about being on the highway and you know the truckers uh they're always going slow in the slow lane or like they're next to each other like you know i i would find myself getting irritated at truckers yes and that has changed but that now i look at them like oh like yes i'll give you some of the road i'll do whatever i can like without the truck drivers we don't have the supply chain. Yes. You know you know where this panic buying comes from too, man? The, the majority of it? What's that? The news. Because mm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen over the last two years, the news will say something like, oh, there's going to be a gas shortage. And then all of a sudden there's a gas shortage because people are buying it because the news said there was going to be a shortage. Mm. Um, same thing with like... Uh, like it's, it's self-fulfilling with, prophecy yeah, in a way. It, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's it's kind of irritating, but like it's almost irresponsible of the media yeah. to cause this panic buying. Yeah, it's yeah self self fulfilling prophecy. So um, that's why I don't watch the news anymore. Yeah, well, and I think you're bringing up a great point. In fact, even if there are supply chain issues and there's panic buying without the media panic, mm-hmm. you're adding fuel to an existing fire. Right. And so there are actual supply chain issues. And when mm-hmm. someone shows up at the store, I noticed this this past last summer, we were in Tennessee and there had been several supply chain issues there. You and I were down there with Dave Ramsey and we we were doing some stuff. And I went to just a Whole Foods to stock up on some food while I was in town. Yeah. And I noticed entire aisles where Ryan, they they printed out groceries and put it in the aisle to make it look like there were groceries there. I felt like I was in some communist country or something. Yeah, it sounds like North Korea. I've seen that in North Korea where they do that. And so they were doing this in Nashville or Franklin, Tennessee, right? Yeah. And it freaked me out, but I also understood it looked better than the sort of empty shelves. You want it to be still aesthetically pleasing, but they Mm -hmm. just had some sort of supply chain issue. And and what that causes, and people see that, they say, "Uh uh-oh, there's only uh, seven rolls of toilet paper left, or seven. I might as well go ahead and get all of them now because this is all that's left. Yeah. And so it starts the panic buying, which now there's this small conflagration, and then the media comes on and says, "Oh my God, 
hey, everyone, don't panic, but you should panic. (laughs) (laughs) Don't panic, but hey, everyone else is panicking. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Calm down while everyone else panics. And in fact, that would be my message to myself here is anytime I see this panic buying, I also feel that inclination. Maybe I should also stock up. Yeah. And so I just step back for a moment and, and ask myself, what do I need? And what is enough? And if I can answer that with respect to any individual item, but then also answer it more broadly, do I actually have enough? And if the answer is no, then what do I need to get there? Usually to get to enough, we already have too much. And it's about subtraction. In these times where there are shortages, you may not have enough of something. And the question then is, is there a substitute or can I go without for a period of time? Yep. Yeah. So did you see anything during the pandemic thus far uh, in a grocery store anywhere where you were checking out and you saw like someone panic buying a certain certain something. Yes. And like, it's staggering. Yeah. The, the things. Yeah. So yeah. So what, what was it for you? Uh, the two, Well, obviously we know about the paper towels, toilet paper, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. I saw someone with an entire cart full of liquor, <laughs> like a whole shopping cart. <laughs> brimming I, I don't even know like it seemed like it'd be so heavy i don't even know how you would i can't believe you it. call me out like that on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> guys i swear it was for my company right oh man that reminds me of uh uh well yeah it reminds me of a video of one of um the the, the higher ups like one of the highest ups <laughs> in the jehovah's witness organization uh-huh he, he was filmed buying a grocery cart full of like McAllen liquor. Anyway, yeah, maybe was, that's who I saw. Well, it's funny because I saw like I was just reading. Yeah, maybe I was reading on YouTube some of the comments under the video, and like Jehovah's Witnesses were like coming to his defense, like, "Oh, well, maybe it was for other people." I mean, it was just it was just hilarious, man. But but yeah, liquor. I saw wine. I saw cookies. I saw this guy with like panic buying cookies. Panic buying cookies, and I'm just thinking to myself, man, if you're stuck. And the the only food you have are cookies. Like you're you're okay with that? <laughs> like I don't know, man. It I was, mean, maybe for a day. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, and, and so there are certain things where it doesn't make any sense to buy a lot of them. Period. Mm-hmm. And it almost never makes sense to panic buy anything. Yeah, because there are actual times to panic. If you are in a jungle with a lion that's attacking you or you're walking down the street and someone uh, holds you up at gunpoint, Mm -hmm. you're going to feel a panic response naturally. Mm -hmm. The problem is we're now having that same response to cookie shortages, to alcohol shortages. And maybe we can just step, step back for a moment, for a day, for a week, for a month and say, hey, can I do without this? Mm. Let's move on to our callers, Ryan. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call, 406-219-7839, or email a voice memo to our good friend, Podcast Sean. His email address is podcast at theminimalists.com. Looks like we have a question here from Prince Edward Island in Canada. Kay has a question for us. Do you guys pay for extra health care insurance or... Is this just something that you guys save up? Um, and then when a cost arises, you just pay out of your money. Um, basically, I'm wondering this because I find that my um, health care insurance is usually more than what I would just pay 
if I didn't pay my insurance company. So I think I would save money if I canceled my health care insurance. Ryan, PEI is the only province we have not been to. Uh, no, I, I hear believe. It's beautiful over there. Yeah, so yeah. we're going to have to do a tour stop up there. We will one day. We're going to do the uh, Everywhere We've Never Been tour. That's uh, So our friend <laughs> Alston Hartley Leonard has a uh, one of the best EPs of all time. Yeah. In fact, it's probably my favorite EP. It's like five perfect songs. It's called Everywhere I've Never Been. Mm. And Ryan and I, there are nine states we haven't done tour stops in. We've been to 49 states. Yeah. We haven't been to Alaska. There's nine states we haven't done tour stops in. And there's one province we haven't done tour stops in and so yeah we could do everywhere we've never been tour that yeah. would be i mean it'd be like new jersey and delaware it'd be so and kansas random. it'd be yeah. awesome yeah it would be awesome we'll have to finish in hawaii or alaska i suppose yeah. but um so they're going from canada which canada's insurance is set up a little bit differently yeah so so um places like canada or the uk have a uh, universal healthcare system or some mm-hmm. iteration of universal healthcare. It's a little bit different from what one could call universal healthcare in the United States, like the Affordable Care Act. And mm-hmm. I won't get into all of the the nitty gritty here because I'm not a expert on this, but I can tell you what Ryan and I do and how we look at this, regardless of where we are. So, Kay, I assume what you're talking about is you have government coverage, and then there's also supplemental coverage on top of that. So your government coverage will cover catastrophic uh, danger, uh, uh, injury, sickness, illness, disease, treatment, etc. Right. And that's what Ryan and I have. We have an insurance plan that is high deductible. Yes. Meaning we pay a lot out of pocket until we reach a catastrophic deductible, which strangely last year I actually met because of all the the health problems I was going through. Mm. So I had to pay a lot out of pocket in addition to my monthly premium and Ryan's monthly premium that, that he pays. And so I think this is a a simple calculation here. The way I look at insurance is it's an emergency item that I hope I never have to use. Mm. I look at my health insurance. Now, we tend to tie emotion a lot to health insurance in a way we don't with like life insurance. We were just renewing our life insurance policy, Ryan, and making some changes to that. Mm-hmm. And there's not a whole lot of emotion to it. It's like, hey, if I die, Ryan gets some money. If Ryan dies, I get some money. Mm-hmm. And uh, same with our wives. We have separate policies for our wives, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, if you die, Mariah will uh, be taken care of. And if I die, Bex will be taken care of. And then with my car insurance... Uh, same thing. I hope I, we were just renting cars recently. We were out on tour and they're like, oh, do you want to use our coverage? Like, no, I already have coverage right. that I hope I don't have to use on this trip yeah. or ever. But it is there in, pl- in place of or in case of emergency. Mm-hmm. So emergency items, you can go back and listen to our whole, we did a whole podcast episode about emergency items. Podcast, Sean could put a link to that in the show notes. But emergency items are simply just in case items that you have in case of emergencies, that ideally, in an ideal world, they're there for safety. You don't have to use it. In yeah. a perfectly healthy world, you have health insurance that you pay for, just like you have car insurance. And every month, you don't have to use it. Yeah. It's like a fire extinguisher. Yes. You know, it's something that uh, you have to constantly buy a new one. You have to get them refilled. But yeah, hopefully you never have to take that bad boy out and use it. So in Canada... She, so it sounds like if she canceled her supplemental, she would have the uh, the, the national care, whatever Canada provides. I would assume so, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's asking for advice that for her, mm-hmm. it sounds like, 
yeah, maybe you know, maybe you could save some money. I'm not recommending that, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying for her, it sounds like yeah, maybe she could save some money. Um, but for someone else, they might need that supplemental. It all depends on their circumstances, right? Yeah, and that's why you and I have an emergency fund. So right. you and I could spend a lot more per month. I know our insurance is like three hundred dollars a month, and and yet we could spend a thousand dollars a month. I'm I'm sure right. someone will take our money and have the Cadillac coverage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so if I've spent a thousand dollars a month, I'd rather take that $700 in quote savings and put that toward an emergency fund. So I have it to cover any sort of catastrophe. Right. And so you remember last year, Ryan, you had to take me to the hospital because I had to get an MRI, had to get a CT scan. Mm -hmm. And these things are really expensive. They're way more expensive without health insurance, by the way. I got the bill and it was $26,000 for the scan that I got. And insurance negotiated it down to like, I forget what it was, 2200 2300 essentially 90% off. Man. And and so one of the biggest problems with our healthcare system right now mm-hmm. is we don't have transparent pricing. Drives me crazy. Like, Ryan, if you get into an accident, you need to use your car insurance mm-hmm. and you take it to the repair shop. And you say, well, how much is the bumper? They're like, well, we'll fix it for you first. Yeah. And then we'll send your insurance company. No, 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 no. You're going to tell me how much it costs yeah. to replace the bumper. Otherwise, it's a scam. Yeah, something's wrong with the way that's set up, which might be a whole other podcast to talk about insurance. But but yeah, um, like I'll, I'll tell you, when I broke my back, I went to the hospital. Emergency room. Emergency room in uh, Hamilton, Montana. And everyone was really nice. Like they took really good care of me. But then he was like, oh, we need to do an MRI. And I'm like, those are pretty expensive, man. Like, can we just do an x-ray? He was like, well, you know, but just trying to talk to me the MRI. I'm like, well, how much is it going to be? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, all right, well, if that's really what you're going to make me do. And then I'm going back and I'm the technician. I was asking her, how much is the MRI? She's like, I have no idea. Mm. And then uh, eventually I get a bill. And it was, yeah, it was like $5,500. So I was in Montana. My coverage is in California. So, I mean, they wanted me to pay 100%. Right. And thank good, the CEO of that hospital, I forget the name of the hospital. Um, I just wrote him a very nice letter and just kind of pleading and begging for him to um, to give me a discount. And he gave me a significant, significant discount on everything. That's one thing that, that is worth noting, Ryan. Hmm. All of these things that we often think aren't negotiable are negotiable. Yeah. Our friend Julian Smith, he talks about this. If you want to really deal with your own discomfort, spend an entire week or a month. Danny, I think you'd thrive doing this. But anywhere you go, ask for just ask for 10% off. Mm-hmm. You go you go to the co- coffee shop across the street. Hey, would you be willing to give me 10% off that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can't or why? Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be great if you could. I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And what it does is it makes you realize that all of these so-called fixed prices aren't necessarily fixed. Yeah. This happened to me recently and I was uh, furious with the Toyota dealership. I took my well, I took my car in to get, you know, regular maintenance, right? Oil change, tire rotation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And as soon as I left, the right headlight stopped working. Mm. And so I assumed like, oh, maybe they accidentally disconnected. I couldn't find this connection. So I was at work. I said, hey, Bex, can you just take it in and have them look at it? And they they looked at it and they're like, oh yeah, just the bulb is burnt out. Mm. And she's like, okay, can you replace it? And they're like, well, yeah. And they did. They charged $236 to replace a light bulb. Good God. And so I called them up. I said, hey, you, you realize you're just taking advantage of someone, right? And uh, 
but what Bex didn't also understand is that like they built her after the fact and you can say no to some of these things right and it was a great lesson for Bex Mm. but under I said hey I've never paid at a dealership for even for maintenance whatever the sticker price is not a single time and she's like really I I always have and we just assume that we have to, but because you and I, the corporate world that we worked in, we know we know everything is yeah. functionally everything's negotiable, right? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, it's all negotiable because you have the ability to walk away, mm-hmm. and that's how you tie this into po- panic buying. When you're panicking, when you feel the need to panic, it's okay to walk away. Amen. You could tweet that podcast, Sean. Hey, Kay, I want to send you a copy of our book, Love People Use Things Because the Opposite Never Works. It's a relationship book. It's about the seven essential relationships in our life. It's our relationship with our stuff, our money, which is perfect for this question here, and also our relationship with our values, our self, the truth, and with other people, with technology, with distractions, and so much more. If you enjoy our podcast, you'll really enjoy the audiobook version of that. Or if you want the book book or the ebook version, we'll send those to you as well, okay? Hey, Alabama, do we have any questions from our Patreon live stream? Shout out to all our Patreon, Patreon subscribers watching this live. We do. We have a question from Nicole. She asks, is what you're describing uniquely American as an idea of panic buying? How do other countries respond to the lack of fear and the unknown? Yeah, I I wish I could say it was just an American thing. Right. But I know when, because COVID hit in the East a lot sooner, there was panic buying going on before. In fact, um, I had that trip planned to go to China and Japan, like right right when COVID hit. Right. You were supposed to be there like in March of 2020. Right. <laughs> yeah. So as um, as the pandemic, as it started... I get a I get a um, message from my friend who Mariah and I are going to go on this trip with, and he's like, "Hey man, I'm really worried about toilet paper in Japan." I'm like, "What are you talking about, dude?" He was like, "They're panic buying toilet paper," and he's like, "We might have to bring you know some extra rolls with us or something." And at the time, I'm like, "That's so ridiculous." And then it hit in America, and then realized it wasn't so ridiculous. Um, I mean, it is ridiculous to panic buy, but I was like, "Oh, those those Japanese folks, they're crazy." Panic buying toilet paper, but yeah. no, it turns out everyone starts panic buying when when things uh, hit the fan. Yeah, this is a uniquely human problem, and uh, it may be amplified or exacerbated by particular cultures who are more prone to hoarding, like American culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we have more things than the rest of the world. What's the sad about children? They're, they make up, what, 3% of the world's population? Yeah, 3% of the world's children, yeah. American children make up 3% of the, the world's children. But they have, like, a ridiculous amount of toys. Yeah, 40% of the world's toys. Right, and yeah. so they they get that from their parents. The kids right. aren't going out and hoarding toys. Mm-hmm. Their parents are hoarding toys for them and teaching them to hoard at a young age. Right. And you're right, though. It's not just America. In fact, on the Maximal episode this week, Ryan, the More About Less article I have is titled, Supermarket Shortages Are Different This Time, How to Respond and Avoid Panic. And here's the very first line of the article. Australia has experienced plenty of supermarket shortages since the COVID pandemic began. The emerging crisis is now a bit different. Mm. And so Australia is seeing actually even more shortages than us Mm -hmm. and more panic buying than us right now. And it could be because there's a heightened fear. More fear leads to more panic. More panic leads to more panic buying. Yeah. 
Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text message- messages. So maybe you don't want to call in and leave a voicemail. That's okay. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Now, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place. Thanks to our good friend, Jessica Lynn Williams. That's uh, minimalmaxims.com. Hey, Alabama, it looks like we got a question here from Rebecca. I'm a big believer in keeping a well-stocked freezer and pantry, but I don't want to go overboard with stocking up, even on things I use. Where do you draw the line between preparation and hoarding? Mm. Preparation and hoarding. You know, there's, there's something pithy here about... Uh, hoarding is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. <laughs> because, the, and that's not my pithy answer, by the way, but I, I think about, you know, when I see someone who has a, oh, we were, ju- we were just with Jay Nash recently. Yeah. And he was talking about this. In fact, he, he was on the podcast a couple of years ago, back when we were in the old studio. And he's a very talented musician, but he's also, he moved to Vermont, I don't know, a decade ago. Mm-hmm. From LA, he's like in LA. I own next to nothing. In Vermont, I have more sh- snowshoes than I had total possessions. Yeah, and he is also a ski instructor. So every one of his kids, he has three kids. Each one of his kids has like four pairs of skis. And I'm like, do they need it? He's like, yeah. Here's why they need it. Mm. And so I see that if I were to walk in and see all the skis and the snowshoes or whatever, or if I, in fact, if I, I had his stuff in my house, I would be hoarding it. Yes. For him, it's value-adding non-essentials, but they add immense value to his life. And he'd, we'd actually be depriving him if we said, well, you're actually hoarding that. You, you, you really should get rid of it. Right. So here's my pithy answer for you, Ryan. Perception is the greatest form of preparation. Mm. And so here's what I mean by that. If your ability to understand what you, if you have an ability to understand what you need, it's going to help you be less anxious, less fearful, less worried, going to make you feel like you're missing out a whole lot less. In fact, you may even find the joy in missing out if you step back and have that perception. Here's here's one more uh, pithy answer for you. You won't have enough until you know what enough is. I know we talked about that with Mira earlier in this episode, but you won't have enough until you know what enough is. Quite often, we keep trying to get more because we assume what we have isn't enough. Yeah. But if you assume what you have is enough and you start with that starting point, mm-hmm. and if you realize, oh, maybe I do need a little bit more, then that's okay. But if you already assume you have enough, you're probably not going to hoard any excess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, my pithy answer is the simple things aren't the easy things. I think my original uh, maxim I sent you was uh, uh, simple ain't easy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, y- you can look at it either way. You know, here's the thing. This is, it takes it takes some discipline. It takes some, some forethought. It takes uh, being in the present moment, taking an inventory of your life. It's a lot of work to set up these boundaries. Yeah. It's not easy. And you know what? Uh, they're asking here is, is, well, tell me, tell me how much do I need to say? Am I saving too much? Am I saving too little? Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can say what I do. I had, um, I had, uh, was one of the minimalist.org community leaders. They sent me an email. They're like, Ryan, I'm really having a problem with the the panic buying. Um, I'm, it's starting to affect me and I don't know how much food to buy. Like, 
what do you and Mariah do? And I'm like, well, regardless of panic buying or not, we typically keep one week to two weeks worth of food. Yes. And that's what I've stuck to. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, oh, that's a great number. And that worked for her and her family. But that may not work. That may not work here for Rebecca. Right. Rebecca might need a month's worth. I, you know, Mariah's Or month, three days worth. Or three days worth, whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, simple ain't easy. You, yeah. you, re- you really have to do the work. And But once you set up those boundaries, mm-hmm. then that is where, yes, you can experience the joy of missing out because you have the appropriate amount of things. You're not worried about food spoiling. You're not worried about where everything's going to go. Your house isn't cluttered full of things. And there, there's a joy within that. Yes. But to get there, it takes it takes some work. And in a way, those boundaries give you permission to let go. Mm-hmm. I like that we're saying the same thing. What you're saying is... Once you've identified what enough is, mm-hmm. whether that's two weeks or two days, that's now your boundary. Mm-hmm. And now boundaries, like boundaries in the real physical world, they're adjustable as well. If you adjust them intentionally, you'll continue to thrive. If you just adjust them willy-nilly because, oh my God, something's on sale, I might as well buy it right now, I better hurry up and get it before it runs out of stock, that's not intentional. Mm -hmm. That's not living deliberately. That's reacting to someone else who's trying to create panic within you yeah but if you have oh yeah you know what one week is my number in fact mine is is about three days we, we go to the grocery store twice a week mm-hmm. and and so about three days is my boundary if yeah. i buy beyond that what happens the, the food that i tend to buy spoils yeah and so if it goes bad then i'm simply creating more waste yeah and so if i go beyond my boundary i'm creating more waste that is what Rebecca's asking here. That's when we're hoarding. Mm-hmm. Right? We got a bunch more to talk about, but first, real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. We um, we just finished up the Love People Use Things tour. Well, sort of. The American portion of the tour, but we had to postpone our two Canadian dates. There were some travel restrictions and some venue and municipal municipalities who restricted the amount of people who could gather in a space at once in Canada. And so we have a tour stop in Toronto and one in Vancouver. Both of those we've had to postpone, I believe, until October. You can find all the details over at theminimalists.com slash tour. And who knows, now that we've postponed those, maybe we'll add a few other cities in Canada. I don't know if it'll be PEI, but who knows? There's would, there's always a chance. Would love to. And maybe they can be in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of the winter in Canada. Yeah. Oh my goodness, man. Yes. We we just came back from uh, as of as of this recording, we came back from New York, Boston, and Washington, DC. And I think the warmest it got was like 18 degrees over there. But it was typically <laughs> like in the low teens or maybe, you know, eight or nine degrees. And man, I have never first off, Southern California has ruined me. When it comes to weather, it's weird though in Montana, like I was just there for Christmas and it didn't, it didn't bother me like it did on the East coast. I don't know, maybe cause it's windier on the East coast. I don't that know. Could be it. Yeah. But man, when we, when we landed in LAX and it was like, you know, 68 degrees. Yeah. I had, I have never felt so grateful for living in Los Angeles, man. Um, so yeah, let's do, let's do the Canadian stops in the summertime. <laughs> well, we do have two in October. So that's like, Late summer. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> late summer. Yeah. It's uh, fall. But um, and who knows? Maybe we'll sandwich a few others in there. If you sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com, you'll be the first to know of any upcoming tour stops. And by the way, all 
20 of our Love People Use Things tour events are being published over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Minimalist for our true fans over there. I got to tell you, Ryan, that New York event we just did. Yeah, with with Seth Godin. And T.K. Coleman. And T.K. Coleman. Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, It's so funny because now I just assume T.K. is always there because he's (laughs) he's the third minimalist at this point. But no, uh, that was, it might have been one of the most heartfelt events yeah. we have ever had. I think part of it was, I was talking to Alabama about this before we started recording, and I think one of the things that happened is there were a lot of people who were getting sick because of, you know, just winter flu and then COVID and all these other things that, and it created this extra tension that was in the air. Mm-hmm. And with that tension came some really heartfelt questions mm-hmm. that may have not surfaced without some of that tension that people felt and dc was very similar to that we had the brothers coleman there we had ken coleman and tk coleman there another great show you definitely want to check out that yeah Yeah. we had lisa lampanelli in boston yeah and jay nash played music there but you can check all those out patreon.com slash the minimalist malabama what else you got for us here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners hey there alexis from new york city So something that has made me think twice about what I bring into my home is donating with purpose. So as I've been downsizing, I've been leaving all of my stuff in a bucket on the floor, and I've really been doing my research to try and find places that will actually use my stuff. And you'd be surprised at how hard it is to find places who will take your stuff, even if it's good stuff. Um, So in doing all of this work, I am finding meaning and purpose in the things I'm donating, and I'm thinking twice about what I bring into my home. Hey guys, this is Natalie from Colorado, and this is the comment for the Minimalist Fashion Podcast when someone asks how to keep clothes in good condition when doing the 333 project. So I usually wear each item of clothing twice unless they're actually dirty, and then I also wash clothes on delicate and hang dry everything except for jeans and gym clothes. Most items are washed in garment bags to prevent snags or tears. Lastly, since I wear a lot of black as well, once my clothes start fading, I dye them to revive the color. Oh, and one last thing. I usually use natural detergents from a zero waste store because less chemicals equals less damage. All right, y'all, you may have noticed we're doing some experimentation lately. In fact, we were just talking about this on the Patreon live stream. We've been getting the new lights in the studio, Beulah's beautiful paintings, and Tim uh, at Wove Arts built these walls that are holding up some of the paintings behind us, these sort of roving walls. We also have Peter Duff, who's been helping us with some of the audio engineering as well. Him and Sean are kind of like Stockton and Malone. (laughs) Sean just passes it to him perfectly. And and then... uh, and then Peter, he he dunks it for us. But um, as we're experimenting, we've been trying some things out. So if you're listening to the audio version of this, you'll notice something over the last few weeks. We brought back the Peter Doran theme song to the opening of the... It, I just felt that it was missing. I heard from a few people as well when I would listen to the podcast, but then I it was confirmed by some other folks. Now, the YouTube videos, it gets straight to it. We've got the new beautiful opening bumper. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen that on our YouTube videos yet, by the way, we had some folks over at uh, Ramsey Solutions. Uh, we hired them independently to design this amazing opening bumper. And uh, so we're now... On the audio version, we've we've reverted back to Peter Dorn opening up the episodes, giving us that original Sonic branding that we've always had. Then every Thursday, you'll still hear the the um, new attenuated bumper at the beginning of our quickie Patreon samples that we publish every Thursday. But then we're also ending the episodes once again with the actual audio, if it's the audio version. So if you're watching the YouTube version. 
you click up here somewhere, Jordan, and I'm sure there'll be some video that we recommend. Actually, I've got a um, I've got an added value here today that uh, we're going to play a song out at the end of this. But if you're listening to the audio version, you'll get to hear the song. If not, you can because of copyright or whatever on YouTube. We don't want to get any copyright strikes. Mm. But for our added value this week, Ryan, I um I watched this documentary. It's called A Man Named Scott. I'm sure you've seen some of the billboards around. It's uh, it's about Kid Cudi, who I don't know a whole lot about. He was sort of, he became really famous at 2009-ish. Mm-hmm. And I was late to his music. In fact, I didn't really start listening to a lot of his music until a couple of years ago. He did an album with Kanye West called Kid See Ghosts. That was the name of the album, wasn't it, Danny? Yeah, and... Um, and I really dug that seven song album. And he had an album come out at the end of 2021 called Man on the Moon 3. And that made me go back and listen to the first two Man on the Moon albums. And I remember some of the songs from, like, you know, Day and Night. Yeah. In fact, that'll be our added value. Or that's what we'll play them out with today. Mm-hmm. But the actual added value is this documentary about him. Mm. It is shot so beautifully. And it's exactly, remember, we've been working with Booklight on another potential project. And I described months ago, Here's how I'd like the next film to... And it's like they did that in this Kid Cudi documentary. Oh, wow. With with these sort of interweaving old B-roll footage with really beautiful talking head interviews and then these sort of avant-garde shots. And, and in fact, they even filmed part of this documentary in a lot of the scouting locations we went to for Less Is Now. In fact, the place where we filmed Less Is Now yeah. is even in this documentary. Oh, that's cool. And it's a beautiful documentary and it goes into sort of how he accidentally stumbled into fame and success or whatever, but it was really through being emotionally authentic and upfront in a way that hip hop music at the time was not willing to to talk about some of these things about being a loner and being lonely and being emotionally sensitive mm. and his songs really brought that to the forefront that's funny because i feel like the new hip-hop or the new whatever like it's all mm-hmm. <laughs> emotional and being a loner yeah, yeah. and, and um, i think you could argue there were maybe some progenitors to that before kid cuddy but he was yeah. the one who really brought it to the forefront yeah and uh so let's let's play out with uh Day and Night, which is his most famous song. But I think that'll give you a sample for folks who aren't familiar with his work. Here's uh, Kid Cudi, Day and Night. Or you can watch the video if you're watching this on YouTube. Just click up here somewhere. By the way, we got a bunch more surprise questions this week. Like, how do we deal with the fear of missing out that results from uncertain times? What are the minimalist thoughts on bulk food stores like Costco or Sam's Club? How much and what kind of food should we keep on hand to be prepared without being wasteful or greedy? Plus a million more questions for me and Ryan. And if you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist Private Podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Malabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, reminding you to love people and use things because the opposite never works. 
Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. I toss and turn, I keep stressing my mind, mind I look for peace, but see I don't attain What I need for keeps, this silly game we play play. Now look at this Madness the magnet keeps attracting me, me I try to run, but see I'm not that fast I think I'm first, but surely finish last, last Cause day and night The lonely stoner seems to free his mind at night He's all alone through the day and night The lonely loner seems to free his mind at night At night Day and night The lonely stoner seems to free his mind at night He's all alone, some things will never change The lonely loner seems to free his mind